Well, good morning, Valley View. It's great to be with you on 4th of July weekend. That's why I'm wearing the color of freedom, camouflage, right? Although one guy said to me, John, that's actually the color of combat, don't you know? I thought, what are you trying to say? But we do, we're here. In fact, the theme for our church this year is free and fearless. Freedom is at the heart of what we hope Christ is doing in our life, which is freeing us from slavery to sin. And so we're taking a break from the book of John in the month of July to focus on that theme of free and fearless. We talked about it at the beginning of the year, but if you're anything like me, you tend to forget things, and so we wanna bring it back up mid-year. And actually, this also presents an opportunity for us to hear from a few other folks in the church. I'm actually not gonna be preaching in the month of July. We're gonna have Colby, and Andrew and at least one other guest be preaching in the month of July. And so just to set you up, today we're going to hear from Colby. He's going to give us our first session preaching through this theme of free and fearless for the month of July. So let's go ahead and welcome up Colby, our student pastor. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Well, isn't it kind of ironic or coincidental that we're going to start here in July and we're going to talk about freedom right before July 4th? I don't believe in coincidences, but with our vision statement of being free and fearless, uh, God has it planned that we were going to talk about this on this day right before July 4th, and I'm excited about that. But I came across a story that I really didn't know much about leading up to, uh, as I was preparing, and it was leading up to the American Revolution, and it happened way back in the day, and it's often forgotten about when the first colonists came to America. And it actually involves a little bit about where we stand and sit today. And so actually, when the colonists first came here to America, they were leaving Europe. They were leaving Europe because they were looking for more freedom. They felt like they were being hindered back there. Their economic opportunity was being held back. They felt that they were overly taxed. They didn't have a lot of religious freedoms. And so from the various countries of Europe, they left there and went across the sea to come to this piece of land to set up colonies. And they did that because they wanted more freedom. And the crazy thing is, although they left those European empires... Great Britain, France, all those places. Although they left there and came to this piece of land, they still remained under the control of those empires. And so while they were here, they still felt that they were unfairly taxed. They even felt like they were being watched over like, like children. And so this kind of rubbed them the wrong way, and then they started having some, some differences and some, some arguments over religious freedoms, they had issues over how to run their local governments because Britain and France and these other countries were imposing a lot of their own control over them. And so all of these things were happening, and then something happened that really made a turn for the worse. So in 1763, there was this war called the Seven Years' War. And Great Britain actually wins and conquers some territory from France and India. And so what happens is Great Britain gets a large chunk of land here in America. But what happens is, is King George III at this time, he, he makes this royal proclamation in 1763. And he says, listen, colonists, 
You cannot expand west of the Appalachian Mountains, west of the Ohio Valley, which is where we are. You can't go any further. The reason being is because they wanted to keep tabs and control on the colonists. So they said, you need to stay isolated right here because our resources are spread too thin. So listen, you can't expand westward. Well, this is one of many events that led to the breaking point for the colonists that ultimately led to the American Revolution. And we stand here today because that early group of people were willing to fight for liberty and freedom over the bondage that they experienced from a foreign empire. And Benjamin Franklin, who was a founding father of our country, has a really great quote. And I'm going to read it for you. It's going to be up here on the screen. It's this quote from Benjamin Franklin. It says, they who can give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Meaning, if you're not willing to, to fight for your freedom and give up some momentary, temporary safety and comfort, then you don't deserve either one. And it was Benjamin Franklin's call to the early colonists that you need to fight for your freedom and you have to sacrifice some temporary comfort. Amen? And so we're going to see a little picture of that in our text and our passages this morning. And so this idea of being free in Christ and being free from sin, we're going to tackle it with two questions. I'm going to ask two questions and answer them this morning. And those two questions are, according to the Bible... What does it mean to be set free from sin? That's the first one. According to the Bible, what does it mean to be set free from sin? The second one, and what does it mean to fight against sin? So those are two very important questions that we as Christians, we as believers, that if we follow Jesus, we need to be able to answer this and know it well. But before we even get to this point, we have to understand what it means to be enslaved to sin. Because we see this picture extending all the way back into Genesis. But where we're going to be, we're going to be in Exodus this morning where we're going to start. And we're going to take a little case study this morning of the people of Israel who were in, the, the, in Egypt, enslaved to the Egyptians. But then God raises up Moses, as I'm sure that you, if you know your Bible, God raises up Moses. He performs miracles and signs, and the Pharaoh lets the people go, and Moses leads the people out of Egypt. But something very interesting occurs. Although they leave Egypt physically, they still want to go back. So we're going to start here in Exodus chapter 14. We're going to look at just a handful of verses to get a picture of what it means to be enslaved to sin. Exodus 14, verse 12, the words will be on the screen, but feel free to follow along in your scriptures. Exodus 14, 12 says, Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. In other words, it would have been better for us to stay in bondage and slavery in Egypt, where we can have some comforts, than to follow God and take the risk of, of losing our lives and fighting for our freedom. That it's better to stay in bondage. Look here, it says in Exodus chapter 16, 
This is a little bit further on in the story. This is another moment where the people of Israel were grumbling against Moses. It says, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, with that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Again, we see this picture that they prefer to be back in Egypt next to the food where they can enjoy all this satisfaction that was merely temporary, that was fleeting, instead of to pursue freedom and following God. Several years later in Numbers 20, when the people get to the wilderness, the same issue comes up. Numbers 20, verse 3 says, And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. And we know in all these instances, the Lord continued to provide for them. He continued to give them what they needed. But notice, they were no longer in Egypt. Where was their mindset? It was back in Egypt. Which is why this is true, that Israel preferred they preferred bondage in Egypt for temporary comfort than surrender to God that leads to genuine freedom. Now, I don't know about you this morning, but it's easy for us to get stuck in contentment with wanting to just remain in slavery and bondage because of the temporary comfort and satisfaction we may find than pressing on into freedom with God. So listen this morning. Israel attained physical freedom from Egypt. But here's the catcher. But they continued to carry a spiritual bondage of Egypt in their hearts. They were no longer physically in Egypt, but they left Egypt and still had spiritual slavery to sin in them. Now understand, Egypt was not merely a place to Israel, it was a mindset and identity. It was a mindset of slavery. It was an identity of being enslaved to sin. And we see this carried out throughout the history of Israel where they struggle with idolatry and sin and eventually led to the fall of them in promised land. But know this morning that we can experience that same struggle. You've probably heard the phrase, you can take the boy out of the country but you can't take the country out of the boy, right? You probably heard that. Or you could probably add anything you want here. You can take the boy out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the boy. You can use a number, a number of ways. You know what I mean? Well, we, uh, my, my wife and I, we grew up uh, here in Kentucky. In fact, I grew up in Lexington, so naturally I was a UK fan. And when I moved from Kentucky to Memphis, Tennessee, I learned something crazy. I thought Louisville fans hated Kentucky. Memphis fans hate Kentucky way more. It's unbelievable. And it's mostly because John Calipari used to coach at Memphis. 
comes to Kentucky and leaves some sour taste in their mouths. And I'm telling you, if I were to bring up the thought that I was from, not just a Kentucky fan, but I was from Kentucky immediately, oh boy, I don't know if I'm going to like you. It's crazy. But even though I still continue to be a UK fan, and so you can take the boy out of Kentucky, but you can't take the Kentucky out of the boy. Amen? Amen. But here's my point, and I think this is where I want to arrive this morning, is that you can take the man out of Egypt, but only God can take the Egypt out of the man. Yes, we may be able to be taken out of Egypt, but listen, there is a deeper, darker, spiritual issue in all of us that you and I have been born with, and that is slavery to sin, and only God can take that out of us. And we see a picture throughout the Old Testament of the Israelites struggling with this, but now I want to get to the New Testament. Because I believe Hebrews shows us a picture of Moses that we can sometimes overlook. But look at this in Hebrews 11. This is talking about Moses in verse 25. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So notice Moses does two things here. He does two things. He refuses the identity of Egypt, and he deliberately chooses to be a people in the people of God. He refuses to be called an Egyptian, and he would rather suffer with the people of God. So listen, instead of being enslaved by the fleeting pleasures of sin, Moses chose to be called a child of God. What a model that is for us. Because you and I have a choice, amazingly. And we're going to get to how that was made possible. But there's a choice to be made that we can choose the fleeting pleasures of sin or we can choose to be a child of God this morning. And it goes on here in the next verse, and we get the the motivation of Moses. Why Moses chose to do this. In verse 26, he says, he, that's Moses, Moses considered the reproach or or the suffering of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Think about that. Moses thought the suffering of Christ or the suffering that came along with following God was greater than the treasures of Egypt. So here the the author of Hebrews is comparing Moses with Christ. Look here. Moses suffered on behalf of the people of God and led them out of slavery. And Christ does the same thing for us. But what it says is that Moses was looking for the reward. The reason why is because Moses was looking for the reward to come one day. And listen, that reward for Moses and for you and me is the same. That is eternal life and freedom from sin for all eternity. Not just a freedom from Egypt, but freedom from our biggest enemy, and that is sin living inside us. Because listen to me. Christ is the greater Moses. Moses was a great model for our life, but Christ was the greater Moses, who not just sets people free, he sets people free from sin forever. And so here's what you need to know this morning, that we can't forget and we can't overlook, that Christ has removed the penalty and the power of sin. Think about that. 
Christ has removed the penalty and the power of sin for all those who would believe in Christ Jesus. Now I'm going to show you two verses to make sense of this because this is so crucial for the believer to understand. Look at this in Colossians 2.14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this God, Christ, set aside nailing it to the cross. So the debt that we accumulated, because Romans 6.23 says, for the wages or the payment of sin is what? Death. Our sin requires a blood sacrifice. But Jesus stepped in for us, crucified on the cross, took on our sin, took on our debt, and removed all of it on the cross. So guess what? The penalty for sin is no longer there for us in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. But it gets better. Because it's not just a penalty. It's the power of sin too. Look at this in Romans 6. Romans 6, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, that is this fleshly portion of our body that, that drives us away from God, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Meaning, the power of sin no longer controls us in Christ Jesus. And it's going to get even better one day for us. Because one day Jesus will remove the presence of sin forever when he returns to take us home. And we're looking forward to that day, church. We're looking forward to the day when not only the, the penalty's been removed, the power's been removed, and one day the presence of sin is going to be removed. So it's not even going to be an afterthought for us. So here's my first encouragement for you this morning, is that you this morning, if you haven't already, that you would exchange your slavery to sin for freedom in Christ. This is all of our starting points. And if this is not real in our life, we need to make it real today before anything else is possible. Because the offer stands for you and I to place our faith in Jesus, to exchange this slavery, penalty, and power of sin over to Christ as he takes that to the cross and we get freedom from it. How good, of it, how good is it to talk about the freedom we have in our country, but how much better is it that we can have freedom from sin? And Romans 6, 17 highlights this so beautifully. This is Paul thanking God. He says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Once slaves to sin, now we're slaves to righteousness. What a picture for you today by simply placing your faith in Jesus. And that's what I would want you to do first and foremost. But now we finally arrive to our main verse, one verse that's our main passage for today. And this is in fact what, what John taught on at the vision banquet that we're going to really hone in on here in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, this one verse. Galatians 5 1 says, for freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do, not, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. 
So there's two really important truths that come out of this verse that I really want us to focus on. The first thing is that Christ has set us free for a purpose. Christ has set us free for a purpose. He didn't do it for just any reason. It was for a purpose that he did it. If you want to go back to that verse too, I want you to see the second part in this verse. Christ has set us free. But then it says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The second thing that's important that comes out of this is that we have a responsibility as Christians now. We have a role to play. We have a responsibility to say no to sin. And we're going to unpack these two things. But notice here in this verse, there's two things. It talks about what Christ has done and what the Christians called to do. Do you see that? The first part, the first clause, it says what Christ has done for us. The second part says what we're supposed to do. It says Christ has set us free. It's by his grace, it's by his love that he has set us free from sin. But then to follow up, you and I now have a responsibility moving forward in our life. This isn't a passive Christian life, friends. To walk and follow Jesus is not to passively wait and do nothing, but it is to actively pursue Jesus and to become like him. So the first thing we have to see here from this verse is that Christ set believers free so that they would live out their freedom from sin. And this is, it should seem obvious to me, I think it should seem obvious that if we've been set free from something, we should walk in it. But sometimes we forget this. And we even get to the point where we sometimes think, well, God's going to forgive me anyway. Why can't I keep on living the way I've been living? Y'all ever had that thought? God's going to forgive me. His grace is perfect. His grace is unending. And because of that, why don't I just keep on living the way I've been living? Because he's going to forgive me anyway. Let me show you what Paul says in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That is, are we to continue in our old way of life to continue in sin so that God's grace just keeps increasing for us? This is a rhetorical question because Paul says, by no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? The picture here is, is if we've truly died to sin, we've been buried with Christ in baptism, when we've been raised to walk in newness of life, how can we continue to live in something that we've been set free from? Paul says you can't. Because if we continue to live practicing sin, having a habitual return to sin over and over and over again, the question must be, be asked, have we really died to it? So we look at our lives. Christ doesn't say we need perfection immediately. Like, we don't have to live perfectly in our life now. But there needs to be growth and progression towards Jesus. But the truth is, if we're living habitually, continually living in sin, the question is, have we really died to it? Paul says, we can't live in sin if we've died to it. So that's the first thing. Christ set us free so we can be free. Second thing, it says in this verse, stand firm, therefore. 
So what Paul's saying here is, since Christ has set us free, therefore, you and I have two things we need to do. We need to stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Two things. If Christ has set you and I free, we need to stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Those two things are crucial. So this is a beautiful part right here. And hopefully we can chew on this and we can, we can meditate on this because, because this, is, this is what Paul is getting at here. In Christ, sin only has power over us if we submit to it. Sin no longer has power over you and me. But just like Israel, we have the tendency to go back where? To Egypt. We have a tendency to go back to that Egyptian mindset and identity and that slavery to sin, even though we've been set free from it. But what Paul says is, is you need to stand firm and you don't submit to it again. And of course, this picture of a yoke of slavery is placing a yoke over a farm animal that pulls behind it various tools for farming. And this picture is that the, you put the, the yoke over the farm animal and it drags it behind him. So what Paul is saying here is, you don't put it on. You don't submit to it again. You have that choice. The beautiful part about the gospel is, is you have the ability and power to say no to sin now before you did it. So listen, believers have the daily responsibility and role to stand firm and not choose sin anymore. Christ died for you to be set free, but now it's your all, it's your and my task to continue on fighting for that and say no to sin. Now, praise God, we're not alone. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and the enemy has many ways and schemes to tempt us, but he who is, who is living in us is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? So we have every ability and tool at, in our tool belt to fight against sin. But the question is, are you going to be willing to stand firm? Now, this is not to downgrade the difficulty sin brings. This is not to downplay how strong temptation can be. But God has given you and me the power to overcome it. And I don't think it's coincidence, as I was doing my studying, that Paul uses the two words, stand firm. I want to take you back to Exodus 14 before God parts the Red Sea and the people of Israel walk across dry ground. I want you to hear what Moses says to his people. It says in Exodus 14, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent so the beauty behind this is that god is fighting for you are you going to be willing to fight against sin so my second encouragement for you this morning is that you would stand firm and do not submit to sin stand firm and some of you like you all need to be attached to a life group if i can be completely honest because you all are trying to do this alone. And you know where the enemy's going to get you? When you're alone. 
The enemy's going to get you when you slide away into privacy and darkness, and you kind of revolt back to using technology for your, your community. But listen to me. If you, want, if you are needing to fight sin in your life, find a life group. If you need help dealing with difficulty in your life, find a life group and find some people that come alongside you to keep that yoke off of you. Listen to this in 1 Peter 2.11. He describes it really well. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain or refrain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. See, I think we got a peacetime approach to the way we fight sin. Christ has died for us. He's taking care of the power and the penalty of sin. But now we can coast. We can coast the rest of our life. But listen to me. We have an enemy who's waging war against us, and he's using everything he can. So we need to make war. So I'm going to give us three practical things we can begin to do today, you and me, that we can do to fight sin in our life. Three things of how we can stand firm. First thing, how to stand firm. Make war and kill sin. We got to have a war approach to fighting sin. We have to be willing to sacrifice things in, in route to fighting sin and getting rid of it in our lives. And notice I'm saying we need to kill sin, not put it away. We don't need to tuck sin under the bed. We don't need to put it in the corner. We don't need to hide it under the rug. We don't need to just lop the top of it off. We need to get to the root and kill sin where it's growing. Because the analogy is true, right? I've got some weeds out in the backyard, and the other day I lopped the top of them off, and all this rain, they sprout right back up, probably bigger and worse. But listen to me, if we really want to affect sin in our life and fight it, we got to get to the root of it. Listen to Colossians 3, 5. Paul says, put to death, therefore what is earthly in you? He doesn't say put away. He doesn't say kindly put it to the side. He says, put to death the sin in your life. My question to you is, are you killing the sin in your life? Or are you letting it linger? Are you letting it stay around? The question is, are we willing to kill it and not let it just hang around? Second thing, how to stand firm. Do not feed your sin. Now, this is metaphorical, of course. We can't actually literally feed our sin. But what I mean by that is we can feed our sin and our flesh. That is the simple part of us. We can feed that with our time, with our energy, with our thoughts, with our attention. And we can feed it and give it opportunity to attack us. And for some of you, your phone is maybe the worst thing for you. Maybe it's your phone that starts scrolling through, and all of a sudden, after spending an hour or so, I'm starting to see things that I shouldn't be seeing. Maybe it's a relationship that you keep investing and pouring your life in that's leading to more sin. We can feed things in our life that lead to more sin. That's by our attention, by our desires. So if the more we think about that temptation and the more we think about that sin, guess what you're going to do? You're going to fall into it. Paul says this in Galatians 6. He says, for the one who sows or plants to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. It should be no surprise. 
If we give our flesh, give the sinful parts of us the presence of sin in our life, if we give it the time of the day, it's going to produce sin in our life. But the one who sows to the Spirit, who gives time to listening and obeying the Spirit, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Who are you giving your affection and your time and your attention to? Is it the Spirit or is it the flesh? Third thing, how to stand firm. Daily behold the glory of our Lord Jesus. I say this for the end because I believe this is the most important in our, wa- in our waging war of sin. See, I've recognized in my life that when I've struggled with sin, it's because I've stopped looking at Jesus. That is my, my time in, in the Word, my time in prayer, That is my time that I just take out of the day and I just spend with him, not merely checking a box, but I actually seek his face and his presence and his will for my life. I've noticed that when I've stopped doing that, sin seems to creep in. Because I believe the more and more we look at Jesus, the more and more we don't want sin. The more and more we behold the glory and the beauty of Jesus and acknowledge what he has done for us, dying on the cross in our place for, the sin, in our, for our sins, we're not going to want that sin anymore. But it's when we take our eyes off Jesus that we lose our focus. So if I can encourage you with a final scripture this morning, it's here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And this is a picture of Moses coming down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and his face is glowing with the glory of God. And if you remember, what does he have to do? He has to veil his face because the people couldn't see it because of their sin. But this is describing now the, about the new covenant and this new reality that you and I as Christians have. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? freedom. That is by faith in Jesus, the Spirit now indwelling us. We have freedom from sin, freedom from the law. And look what it says in the next verse. And we all, with unveiled face, no longer covered, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, that is the image of Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. That is, we're growing more and more and more and more like Jesus every day. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So here's my challenge for you this morning. Are you submitting to sin or are you standing firm in freedom? It's one or the other. Are you submitting to sin or are you standing firm and not submitting to slavery of sin anymore? So I'm going to invite Caden to come up here. She's going to sing a little portion, a couple lines from a song you're probably going to know pretty well. And that song is to turn your eyes on Jesus. And what I want us to do here in just this moment is Caden's going to sing this, and I just want to offer you all the opportunity to turn your eyes on Jesus. And maybe for some of you, this is the first time you need to set your gaze and behold Christ the Lord for the first time. 
But for some of you, this is a moment where we need to refix our gaze because we have gotten it off of Jesus here lately. And so Caden's going to sing. Tucker's going to, I said Tucker because they're getting married here. Let's give it up for actually for Caden and Tucker. For actually they're going to get married here in a couple weeks. So, but I don't mean to ruin that moment. But Andrew's going to be playing. Caden's going to sing. And I just want to invite you to take this moment to set your eyes on the Lord Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace turn your eyes upon jesus look full in his setting us free from something that we have been enslaved to. Lord Jesus, we could not get the Egypt out of us by our own doing, by our own works, by our own ability, but it is by the blood you shed on the cross that sets us free from the penalty and the power of sin. And oh, Lord Jesus, we look forward to the day when you will remove the presence of sin from your people forever and we'll get to be with you for all eternity. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that has not come into this freedom, that they would do so. And I pray, Father, that we as believers, we as your church, we would stand firm and not go back to those things which we've been set free from. And that, God, we would daily behold your glory and turn our eyes to you so the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. And that, God, we would make war and kill the sin in our life and we would not feed it any longer. Oh, Lord Jesus, if there is someone in here today that is battling sin and feel like they are inadequate, I pray that they would be reminded that they have been given the freedom and the power over sin, and by looking to you, they can find that again. And that, Father, we as a community, as, a, as Galatians 6 tells us, that we would bear one another's burdens together. And that we would not walk this path alone. 
that you did not make Christians to walk alone, but you called us to walk in community. And by the power of the Spirit in us, and by the power of the church and the community that we have, we can fight sin. And I pray, Father, that we would take every step that you're calling us to take this morning. I pray all this in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.